Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in this episode, we're going to explore some very early days of terrorism of the Italian communities in Southwest Michigan by a mafia organization in those days referred to as the Black Hand. I'm also going to revisit a story that I carried in Season 1 on the murder of Giuseppe Elio in Battle Creek, Michigan, as well as look into a story that was recommended by a listener to this podcast named Greg, who tipped me off to the story of the Cascarelli bombing over in Hillsdale, Michigan. And all of this is connected to this terrorist organization of the early 1900s called the Black hand. So come along and join me. So I first encountered the reference to the black hand when I was researching the story of Giuseppe Elio. He was also known as Joseph Ellen in his time. And I came across his story when I was doing a video on Mount Olivet Cemetery last year. And I was just researching uh, graves that I filmed out there and trying to find the story behind their deaths. And I came across the Elio grave, and he was all by himself. And I believe the headstone is marked Joseph Elio. When I dug into the story initially when I did that video, I didn't find much on him other than he had been murdered right down the street on South Avenue, pretty much near the intersection of the first main road there, which I believe is Fountain Street, or I'm not sure what it's called right there. But it's right down the street from uh, Oak Hill Cemetery and Mount Olivet Cemetery in Battle Creek, not far from the Mill Pond area right there. So anyways, I researched it, and then at some later date, I decided to revisit the story after my skills on researching had improved, and I'd become more adept, you might say, at finding forgotten stories in newspapers and learning how to track them down. And I discovered that his story was not much under his name of Joseph Elio, because his real name was Giuseppe Elio, and he also went by Joseph Ellen. And so as I started finding fragments of these stories, I was able to search all of those combination of names and piece together his story. Additionally, I was able to search a broader base of newspapers. And essentially, he was an Italian laborer that lived in an Italian community here in Battle Creek. During that time in history, around 1917, the early 1900s to about 1925, there was a lot of these Italian communities all over the United States, from immigration, from Europe, and they refer to them often in the papers as Italian colonies. So there was this Italian colony, so to speak, that was living right around the area of Oak Hill Cemetery. And Joseph and his wife and his children lived in this neighborhood right around Oak Hill Cemetery. And he was an Italian laborer. He worked at the Battle Creek Gas Company, and he was working as a stoker shoveling coal. And he would do an eight-hour shift every day shoveling coal into a furnace. And that's what he did for a living. So he wasn't earning a tremendous amount of money. And then one morning, his body was discovered after he had not come home one night, not far from where, between where he was working and where he lived, right off of South Avenue. And his body was discovered and he had been murdered 
by somebody wielding an axe or hatchet or uh, what they called a cheese knife, which was like a very large butcher knife. And that was what the story described him as. And it was a, a brutal slaying. And in one of the articles that I came across, the police chief suspected that it might have been having to do with the black hand. And I had never heard of that before. So I, I did some quick Google searching at the time and discovered, you know, this was 1917. And there was a organization called the Black Hand over in the Turkish area that had been associated with the start of World War One. And at the same time in 1917, when this happened, Camp Custer was being built and the city was mobilizing with a lot of people coming into town, building Camp Custer. And I assumed it had something to do with that was what he was talking about. And I didn't really look beyond that because it was germane to the World War One era right there that this group might have been in the newspaper because that was what was being said as the start of World War One. They had assassinated a um, royal family member of some sort over there. And if you look up the, the beginning of World War One, you'll find the information on that. But it wasn't until just recently that I started doing some more research and I came across a detailed story on the Black Hand. And now I understand what the sheriff was referring to, that it was the early formation of the Italian mafia that was causing this reign of terror in every Italian community in the United States. Predominantly, it was getting a lot of press in New York because there had been several murders and bombings in the large Italian community in that state and also in the city of New York. So there was even a whole division of the New York Police Department that was into investigating the Black Hand and trying to capture these guys. And I came across a story that was published in 1908 in the Sunday Journal Record here in Battle Creek, which describes a lot of what the Black Hand was about. I'll read some of the, the story here to you. Spreading far and near, sending the roots deeper and deeper into our national life, thriving on the quantities of blood money it extorts, the Black Hand is now bearing its annual midwinter crop of shocking crimes, and it is open season for murder, kidnapping, bomb throwing, and blackmailing. Every Italian colony of any size in the country is infested and only in New York and in the mining districts of Pennsylvania has there been any sensible effort made to check this awful criminal growth. And then he goes on to write, For the last few years, I have written and spoken against the Black Hand and have devoted regularly a portion of my time to keeping track of the growth of the system of fraternity. There is no general organized system society. This is a closely woven system. My first article declaring that the old Italian mafia had been transplanted to America was met generally with open incredulity and in some quarters with derision. A year later, I showed the process through which Detective Sergeant Joseph Petrosini and Inspector McCluskey unwittingly spread the criminal infection by driving the barrel murder hand out of New York and pleaded for a secret body of Italian police in New York cooperating with the police of other cities to crush the growing condition. Prominent Italians fearing for the sound name of their fellow citizens rose up to write letters to the papers declaring that there was no black hand 
There were 116 Black Hand murders in 18 months after that. A year ago, conditions were so bad that Police Commissioner Brigham gave Petrosini the charge of 50 Italian detectives from which to organize a Secret Service Corps. The new force was not sufficient. It should have been five times larger, but it has done some splendid work. Now, the very American police officials who laughed at the Black Hand as nothing but a bungalow and a myth and an imported fake terror are seeking ways and means to cooperate in a movement to crush the system entirely. If this had been done three years ago, there might be no Black Hand today. Now, it will take 10 years of determined effort and the lives of many brave men to crush it. The situation, in brief, is this. The Black Hand has thrived so well in America that it has rejuvenated the Camaroa in Italy. The two are working hand in glove. The checking of crimes in New York caused the transfer of headquarters to Pittsburgh. These were raided by the police December 24th. The big operations are now being conducted from New York until it can be decided where it will be best to locate. It is highly probable that the choice will be New York once more, and only a greater degree of caution will be used. Then he further explains there have been many dynamitings, few kidnappings, and a few murders, said I. But that is because the Black Hand is most active and is thriving exceedingly. You do not seem to comprehend that the Black Hand system has not for its main purpose the commission of crimes of violence. These are merely by-play, simply side moves in the game. About 5,000 Italians live without work in New York, dress well, and have plenty of money. The Black Hand game is their source of revenue. Their first step is is to make the Black Hand a dreaded thing. A few dramatic murders accomplish this. Their victims are not killed merely because they take their warnings to the police and fail to pay the blood money. They are killed to frighten others. Children are not stolen for a ransom so much as to make the threat of kidnapping a good money getter. In the spring, summer, and fall, there is plenty of money in the Italian colonies. Tens of thousands of men rapidly contribute their weekly assessment to the support of the Black Hand. When the season of winter idleness comes and money is scarce, the steady pay victims begin to balk. Then it is necessary to kill a few men in the boldest way possible to steal a few children and to defy the police or to dynamite a tenement and have a whole community in terror for weeks. Altogether, I have brought to the United States 53 Italians, of whom 32 were males of wage-earning age, and of that 32, six pay an aggregate of $9.50 a week on average to the Black Hand in various parts of the country. They are visited regularly by collectors, and I have not been able to persuade any of them to desist. Under present conditions, I do not blame them much. I am convinced that 150,000 Italians in this country buy peace of mind by contributing regularly to the Black Hand directly or in directly. If you do not believe this, then go to any Italian labor camp on any payday and see if there is not a black hand collector present to get his pockets full of 50 cent pieces or dollar bills pulled out of the pay of the men and four times out of five 
he has an understanding with the foreman. So that was pretty damning evidence, and it's likely that that was the situation involved with Giuseppe Elio in September of 1917. In one of the articles that I researched on that story, his wife mentioned that he had said to her the last time she had seen him that... Well, she had mentioned to him when she had seen him that she she thought he looked worried and asked him about it. And he had said, don't worry, I can take care of myself. I'll handle this. He wouldn't allude to what he was talking about, and she couldn't get it out of him. So she assumed it was some work trouble, and then the next day he's murdered. So apparently he had been visited by somebody from the Black Hand. Maybe they had just arrived in the area, and they were tapping a few of the workers that were at the coal shoveling section or in that Italian community, and he maybe refused to pay because he said, hey, I've got children or whatnot. Or maybe he was just out of money, and he was the one that they set an example of to put terror in to the small Italian community here. There was a lot of people coming in and out of town during that time in 1917 in Battle Creek because there were a lot of workers coming in to work over at Camp Custer. So there was a lot of uh, immigrant traffic coming to do labor on building the camp out there. There was something um, close to a thousand men that moved into the area to do work. There were also several troublemakers that show up in the police report during that time. In fact, the police department had their highest ever arrest right around that same month or the month prior to Giuseppe Alilo's murder of just people doing disorderly conduct downtown and drinking. So this is the state of what was going on in Battle Creek right then. It was kind of a a period of general chaos with a lot of influx of people. And it just so happens that Giuseppe Alilo gets murdered during that time. And it's feasible to assume that maybe somebody came in town, put the threat, so you pay the black hand or you don't, or you die. And they were just putting that fear of terror in the Italian community. And the, the trial that happened afterwards regarding this on some other Italian that they had accused of the murder, there was a tremendous amount of Italian um, people in the community testifying on his behalf, saying he was not involved. And they alluded to some other individual that they were never able to track down that had apparently, they said, is the one that did the murder. No one would come out and say the black hand. And you wouldn't go to the police because if you did, then your children would be kidnapped or a bomb would go off in your home and something awful would happen to you or someone in your family. So there was this uh, unsaid, unspoken thing in the Italian community. And so I did some more research on this, and there was several examples of this in newspapers around the state of Michigan. Searching from about the early 1900s all the way to 1930, there's several newspaper articles that I found, and I'll I'll read a few of them to you. There was several bombings over in Detroit. Here's an example of one that I found in the Detroit Times that ran on September 30th, 1914, and the title of the article, Italian Colony is Terrorized by Explosion. Second attempt made to wreck the property of Lido Brothers with a bomb. Outraged believed work of black hand. Little damage done, but residents and vicinity are badly frightened. And the story mentions that the store was only slightly damaged by the explosion this time. Wednesday's outrage is the second attempt that has been made upon the property of the Lido brothers, Pedro, Thomas, and Felipe. Almost a year ago, another store owned by the brothers at Rivard and Forest Street was badly damaged by a bomb. 
which had been loaded with slugs and bolts. The bomb, which exploded Wednesday, had been planted in a corner of the store. And this was what would happen to families of Italians that would stand up to the black hand. They would refuse to pay. They were business owners. They were trying to support their own family. And they felt like they had enough family members, brothers and sisters, or men in the house to beat up any black hand members that came along and threatened them. But then they would be secretly bombed as a retaliation. And there's other examples of this that I'll get into here in a minute, which is all building up to a case that happened over in Hillsdale that I'm going to get to in a moment. Now, this next article was run in the Detroit Times, August 21st, 1917. This is about a few weeks before Giuseppe Leo is murdered in Battle Creek. The headline of this article reads, Seven Near Death in Explosion, Black Hand Blamed for bomb outrages in Italian district. When Pete Ferranti, number 461 Lafayette Avenue East, received a black hand letter several weeks ago demanding $2,000, he violated the unwritten law of Little Italy. He told his troubles to the police. Tuesday morning at 3.30 a.m., a dynamite bomb exploded on his front porch, demolishing the front part of his home with a roar that shook the east side. Ferranti, his wife, and five small children were sleeping when the explosion shook the house loose from the foundation. A picture jarred loose from a bedroom wall fell on Ferranti's arm, inflicting a painful wound. No other member of the household was injured. Members of the Black Hand Squad at the Hunt Street Station, searched through the wreckage at daylight, seeking a clue of some sort by which the perpetrators might be identified. So there was a Black Hand squad formed at the Detroit Police Station during this time in 1917. It had already become commonplace for larger cities with Italian districts to start forming a very particular squad in each of their police departments to investigate these types of crimes. And there were numerous other cases of bombings over in the Detroit area. So that was a city that the Italian community were continually harassed. And here is an example where a man who was sent a black hand letter, which apparently that was the the way of contact was a letter in the mail and it had a black hand print on it and a threat and a demand of $2,000 be paid on a certain date or sent somewhere or instructions of where to bring the money. And of course, the unwritten rule is if you ever went to the police, bad things would happen to you. And so this was the kind of terrorism that this organization did. And I'm sure the later versions of the mafia, as we know it, and if you look at uh, Godfather movies and things like that, it seems to be a practice that happened in these types of uh, mobster organizations, even up to present day. The old saying of snitches get stitches was a common philosophy even back then, even though they may have called it by something else. So there were several cases of that. I read a lot of papers about that. There was even the assassination of a police chief that was investigating the Black Hand that happened over in New York. And this kind of thing went on for several years. And eventually, I'm I'm assuming probably after Prohibition, it it evolved into what we know today as the modern-day mafia or uh, Italian mob or whatever else you want to call it. But there was an incident that happened over in Hillsdale. And this was the story that was referred to me by one of my listeners. And his name was Greg. I'm not going to say his last name to give him some privacy. But he mentioned that he listens to a lot of this podcast and wanted me to explore a little bit more about this story of this incident 
incident that happened in Hillsdale. So the reference that I found on this was a blog post from the Collegian, which is over in Hillsdale. And I believe it's a blog published by students at the Hillsdale College. It was actually published in March of 2018. It was an article written by Stefan Kleinhens, who researched this story for the city of Hillsdale's history. And it concerns the bombing of the Cascarelli family. And so I'm going to just read you what it says here. In the early hours of the morning on Sunday, June 24th, 1923, an attack was launched in an attempt to destroy the fruit shop of the Cascarelli family, a hardworking Italian family living in Hillsdale, Michigan. And the perpetrator is still a mystery today. The Cascarellis found their home in the hushed, quaint town of Hillsdale, one of the few places that accepted Italian immigrants in the early 20th century. Fulfilling their Italian dream as entrepreneurs, they started their own fruit business, with locations in Hillsdale and Albion. The night of the attack, a bomb had been placed on the Broad Street side of the Cascarelli store in the apartment above the store. The explosion woke Peter Cascarelli, his son, his son Joe, and his nephew Frank Cascarelli. While causing great structural damage, no one was injured or killed. Upon hearing the explosion, Sheriff W.H. Bates who was sleeping in the jail on Courthouse Square, immediately headed towards the scene of the explosion. No one was ever arrested. All that remains is the testament of the Cascarelli descendants who know the oral tradition of that summer night told to them by generations before them. Today, Peter's great-nephew, Robert Cascarelli, lives in the Hillsdale area. Robert and a few of his other relatives carry the family legend through the oral tradition. He said he grew up hearing the stories from his father, Frank Cascarelli, who was at the fruit store the night of the bombing. Frank told Robert that the blast of the bomb blew both Frank and Joe out of his bed and just about every window on the block was blown out. It was not a small bomb, Robert said. It was meant to do damage. The power of that bomb to do what it did to the whole block, there was an intent to do badly on the people. Robert also understood from the stories of his father that his great-uncle Peter was not someone who took matters to the authorities. He dealt with them himself. You have to remember that old Italians, like my father, were very closed-mouthed about what was going on, Robert said. The sheriff only knew what Peter offered to him, and it wasn't much. At the time of the bombing, Peter Cascarelli owned the fruit store on Broad Street in downtown Hillsdale, while his brother, Robert, owned the store in Albion. The location of their fruit store wasn't the only difference between the brothers. According to the younger Robert Cascarelli, the family knew Peter was someone not to be messed with. The story that Robert tells is that Peter was asked to pay protection money to the mafia, and he refused. Now, that would have been the black hand during that time period. Italians took advantage of their own race, Robert said. Peter only had his son, Joe, who could be tougher against the group. But Robert had eight children to protect. He had more to lose. 
Peter later found out that his brother, Robert, was paying the group believed to be out of Cicero, Illinois, according to the Hillsdale County Historical Society. At the time, it was known as the Black Hand, which was a criminal tactic of extortion and a precursor to the organized crime and the mafia. At one point after the bombing in Peter's store in Hillsdale, he got a call from Robert and Albion that the guy showed up to collect the money and was at the stag bar next door to Robert's fruit store. Peter proceeded to drive to Albion and confront the man in the bar. Peter had a weapon on him and walked up to the guy to the bar and stuck the pistol in the guy's ear. The younger Robert said, my dad told me that Peter stuck it in his ear and made it bleed like hell. According to the stories, Robert heard from his father, Frank, Peter told the guy in the bar something along the lines of, you tried to put me out of business, blew up the whole block in Hillsdale, and I'm still not going to pay you. I understand my brother Robert is willing to pay you, but if you ever come back to Albion, if you ever go near my brother, I will kill you. And the guy never came back. And the article concludes with, you figure they ran into a toughie, Robert said, and they knew he meant what he said. And quite Honestly, the Italians that actually did rough up the Black Hand guys, a lot of them were successful based on news accounts of being left alone by the Black Hand. I guess you had to be more terrifying than their terrorism to um, be left alone. But the article shows some amazing photos of the damage that was done from the bombing. And you see all the windows broken out in the building and there were crates of fruit that were thrown out into the street from the bomb blast. And it was quite a mess. And the building looks like it it survived fairly well. The windows took all the beating, but um, definitely had to have been a very scary night for those people in Hillsdale. So that incident happened on June 24th, 1923. And the stories of the Black Hand crossed all over the state. There was one example of a newspaper story in the Detroit Times on January 14th, 1909, where the police there had arrested a suspect by the name of Sam LaFada, who they believed was a Black Hand suspect and one of the members of this organized crime group. And LaFada, one of his alleged victims, was an Italian bricklayer named Frank Barone. And he was a very industrious man, and they had threatened him, and he refused to pay. And they literally scared the man out of town, and they followed him all the way to Grand Rapids, where he had moved to. And for a while, he also lived in the Hastings area, trying to avoid the Black Hand. And the police finally convinced Barone to testify against Lafada, but they had to go through extreme measures to do that. They had to arrest Barone on a small charge of robbery that he had been coerced into doing on behalf of the Black Hand as part of his restitution fee to them for not paying him. So they had him in jail, more of a detention and probably more for his protection while he was waiting, testifying against Lafada in the uh, story there. So that was quite uh, an interesting story that shows that the Black Hand activities did spread across Michigan, Grand Rapids, Hastings. There were incidents, of course, the bombing in later years, 1923 over in Hillsdale. And then, you know, we have the murder of Giuseppe Leo that certainly fits the pattern. He was in an Italian community. He was horrifically murdered. Like, why would anybody go out of their way to murder that man when you read what his life history was? He really was just a a common Joe, but he was obviously murdered in such a way as to be a 
terrifying example to the community. And they probably all knew who did it, but they weren't going to tell the police lest they wind up like Joseph. So very interesting, intriguing history that goes across several counties in lower Michigan and across the whole state from Detroit all the way to Chicago. Uh, I did find numerous articles about Black Hand members being arrested in Chicago, and it was apparently a problem that was all over the country at that time, and um, evidently in larger cities. But as we can, as the examples I gave you, it did affect smaller communities. Anywhere there was an Italian colony, as they described it, there was these extortionists that would come in town to threaten them, and they would mail letters to particularly targeting industrious workers or business owners within a community. And if they didn't pay up, then somebody would be murdered in that community to be set an example of, or a bombing would go off, or they'd kidnap somebody, or uh, and that sort of thing, and then blackmail them into giving them money. So it was a horrible situation for Italian immigrants to have to deal with, and um, it was terrorism from their own people that was going on during that time. So it's just a very fascinating chapter in Michigan history in general, and of course in the United States history. And I thought I would share those stories with you today. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I found it very fascinating to research this subject, and I am working right now on a true crime book from the Victorian era, and this type of story might fit into a sequel to that book when I finish it. But that's going to conclude today's episode on the story of the Black Hand, the Cascarelli bombing, and a revisit of the Elio murder in Battle Creek, Michigan. If you liked today's episode, please be sure to take a minute to leave a review of some kind on whatever app that you are listening on. Most of my listeners, based on the statistics that I see on the back door of my podcasting platform, shows that most of you are listening either on Spotify or using the Apple app. And then the rest of you are either listening right online or some other smaller app. But whatever app that you're using, if you'll take a minute and leave me a review, I'd greatly appreciate it. And certainly some kind words would go a long way to helping others find out about the podcast. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com, just like Greg did, and he sent in a wonderful suggestion. And I was able to use part of it in an episode. He also gave me a few other ideas, which I will be exploring. And if I find some cool information on that, Greg, I will certainly create a new episode for you, my friend. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening.